Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm very thankful for the privilege it is to study with you. Now, if you are a regular listener, you will have noticed that it's been silent for a few weeks, and I feel like I'm a broken record, but I will continue to do my best to get some content out and also apologize for it not being every Monday as of late. My schedule has been unique, and it will continue to be unique. Uh, maybe I should say different than it usually is, and it's going to continue to be so while I go through this therapy program. I'm now in an internship Phase And so uh, several of my days, at least part of several of my days, are spent up at a therapy clinic. Anyway, the point is uh, I haven't had opportunity to get guests in my studio or interview them over the Internet. So it's just me again today. Now, I have a study that I want to share with you. And I hope as we listen together, or I guess you're listening. I'm the presenter. Um. If you're listening to this in real time, it's just before Thanksgiving. And if you're not, you know, I try to make these podcasts evergreen. And so I feel like the message would be helpful for you um, just in your Bible study. So uh, I want to share, (laughs) maybe it's a bit of dark humor, I suppose. But in honor of Thanksgiving, I want to talk about family feuds, right? Now, um, I don't know if you can hear the smile on my face. I'm smiling because I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays, and uh, I love getting together with family. Now, in the Bible, there are times when family gets along really well, and there's times when uh, they don't. And so today I want to share um, a specific part of the family group of God's people and how they lost everything. Now, So it's not so much a topical sermon on family feuding in general, but specifically about a people group who were part of the family line. Now, stay with me, because this is a history lesson, and I, you know, I love history. A lot of people don't, and I wish I could, you know, transfer my love of history to you, but maybe maybe this will be a helpful study as you get ready to start reading the Old Testament again, Um, and maybe it will help appreciate the Old Testament story, right? And so even if you're not a big history buff, I hope to make this enjoyable and uh, that it will encourage and edify you. So uh, let's talk about how the central narrative of the Bible, maybe that's a good place to start. So it follows a family group from creation to the arrival of Jesus, And while the family group is the nation of Israel, right, there's several offshoots of that family that will grow into their own mighty nations. For example, um, you know, Abraham, father of faith, he has a nephew named Lot, and he's related to Abraham. He's part of that line. And so uh, in Genesis 19, verse 30 through 38, a really messed up story. I mean, it's messed up. But some of the offspring of Lot and his daughters in their incestuous relationship become the most bitter enemies of Israel, the Moabites and the Amorites. 
right? So another relative, that's, that was just an example. Another relative of the promised people that came uh, through one of Abraham's grandsons, though not the line of Israel, is the Edomites. And so that's what we're talking about today in this idea of family feud. And, um, you know, the Edomites, you're going to read about them all through the Old Testament. But specifically what, <coughs> excuse me, specifically what I want you to think about is how they became a constant source of frustration that slowly degenerates into a lifelong or uh, nation-long feud between uh, these these two nations. Now, it it may seem like Edom is just any other nation that caused Israel problems, but their complicated relationship is a source of evidence both for the consistency and the inherency of Scripture. So there's a great proof in these people, um, in prophecy and in archaeology, that the Edomites help us prove the Bible's real. So I'm trying to front load it, you know, for a bit, which with just the idea that, that you're going to see these people kind of in passing in the Bible, but really they they play a pivotal role and they help us be encouraged that the Bible's real. So to the Jewish reader, almost 3,000 years ago, if you were to read a reference to Edom, it would bring back a millennium of connected history. But to a Bible student in the 21st century, uh, we're likely not to see the same connections. And so with that in mind, we're going to ask these questions ourselves. I'll ask them on your behalf. And uh, it's going to help us maybe put ourselves in the shoes of people living thousands of years before us who, who would already have that connection. Right. So who are the Edomites or rather who were they and uh, do they have any sort of extra biblical source to confirm their place? That, that's an important question. What happened to them and what can we learn from them? So those are the questions I'd like to talk about with you today in this family feud Bible study. So who were the Edomites? Edom means red in Hebrew. And what other name comes to mind whenever you think of red? In the Old Testament, maybe I hope you're, you you have that you know go to knowledge of Esau, and in Genesis twenty five twenty five, Esau is one of the twin sons born to Isaac and Rebekah. So he's a grandson of Abraham, and he's named Esau because of his redness, and from birth he's red all over like a hairy garment, and it could be that he's just a woolly ginger. <laughs> or it could be, medically speaking, a form of hypertrichosis. Uh, we don't know. But it's, it's noticeable enough that, <laughs> there's a, you know what, we're going to name you Red, right? And so I, I think about him growing up with this condition. And he had a twin brother named Jacob. And as an adult, Esau throws away his birthright as the firstborn over some stew that Jacob cooked, Genesis 25, 30. And the scriptures declared, therefore his name was called Edom, not only because of his physical appearance, but also because of his reckless and rash behavior. So uh, this, this idea of Edom being red is that his character and his, his behavior, they weren't approved by God, even though he was a part of Abraham's descendants. So what I would like for you to consider is Malachi chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. And this is in the Old Testament. 
Um, it's in the books of prophecy, but just listen to it. And you, you've probably heard it before. It's also quoted in the book of Romans chapter 9. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, but Esau I hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals in the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may rebuild, but I will tear down. And it goes on to say some more. Um, so this idea of, of Esau being in God's family, part of that heritage, but also kind of removed from it. He's removed because of his rash and reckless behavior and because he wasn't a part of God's plan. Now, he still, if he had obeyed and had righteous behavior, he still would have been left out because it could only pass through one child and it was going to be Jacob. But he still could have been saved and been a righteous man. He's known as Edom because he's not righteous. And that, so there's a mixture of God's uh, plan for service, but also God's plan for all people to obey him. So think about this in Genesis 27. Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me. Me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of the, from heaven above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it will come to pass when you become restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, this... Uh, account in Genesis 27 and how the brothers would be at odds. It doesn't happen in the lifetime of Jacob and Esau, but it's intertwined in the history of their descendants. So Esau uh, married foreign women and his descendants reproduced prolifically, and thus his people become known as the Edomites, a very powerful desert tribe, and, and this tribe becomes a nation. And the, lands of, the land of Edom, uh, if you could see a map and you kind of know where the Holy Land is, it's going to be south to southeast of Palestine and of the, the kingdom of Israel. So that's kind of who they were. But it may be helpful, instead of just jumping into what happened to them and what can we learn from it, um, I think a really interesting part of this story is, is there any extra biblical source to confirm their place in history, Right. The Bible is sufficient, and in addition to its sufficiency, it's really amazing to see that there is evidence that shows that the Edomite civilization within that region um, is, is proven through history and archaeology, right? For, for example, 1200 B.C., there's a letter from an Egyptian scribe that reports movement of a nomadic uh tribe of Edom to the watering holes in Egyptian territory. Uh, Edomite kings are mentioned in Assyrian cuneiform inscriptions. And so there's some just really neat things uh, that show archaeologically that, yes, they were around. Um, so I guess you could go look some of that up yourself. That's not the purpose of this podcast to maybe give you every fact, but you can go look up these facts. It's really easy. You can just Google search the uh, archaeological proof of the Edomites, whatever you might want to look up. You'll, you'll find it. You're, you're a clever person. So I'm going to ask this question, what happened to them, right? So 
uh, the Edomites are identified as blood brethren of the Israelites in Deuteronomy 23, verse 7. And so an Israelite who had Edomite heritage could worship with his brethren after the third generation. This is the Law of Moses, chapter 23, verse 8. And if you married someone who was an Ammonite or a Moabite, they didn't get that privilege. And so there is there was something special about the Edomite people, even though they weren't Israelites. But that doesn't mean that the two nations treated each other like brethren. In fact, they largely ignored God's commands in brutal fashion. And by the time Jacob's descendants escape Egypt and return to the borders of the Promised Land, it's the Edomites that refuse to let them pass through their their region in Numbers chapter 20. And, you know, I guess they had a strong enough force because the Israelites, or maybe it was God's command that prompted the Israelites, but they, they had to kind of scoot around it and enter through Moab and Ammon instead. Now, the Edomites, if we're kind of fast-forwarding, they join an alliance against Israel during Saul's reign. But Israel defeats them in battle in 1 Samuel 14, 47. And it, in one of the most scandalous moments of, of King Saul of Israel's history, his Edomite servant named Doeg is the one who massacred most of the priests at Nob when they would not reveal David's location in 1 Samuel 22. So skip forward a little bit more. During the reign of David, his army conquers Edom in 2 Samuel 8, and he made the entire nation slaves. So it's starting to come to fruition like that uh, prophetic blessing that Isaac gave his son Esau when he said that it would come to pass that you would serve your brother, right? In fact, David's general Joab, Joab was a bad dude, and uh, Joab killed it says all the Edomite men, 1 Kings 11. And uh, we don't know necessarily what that means as far as all being all or maybe all of the royal household or, or all of age, but it doesn't matter. It, it no doubt created a deep, deep, even deeper than already was, hatred between these two nations. And so during this troubled time, David wrote the 60th Psalm. And I want to read it to you, Psalm 60, verse 7 and 8. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Listen to this. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Philistia, shout in triumph because of me. Now, there's a guy named Matthew Henry, and he suggests that David's psalm is a rejoicing over the firm establishment of his kingdom and the overthrow of neighboring nations who so often led the Israelites astray. And another guy, Charles Ellicott, explains in his commentary that the, the Psalms, uh, it's the most natural explanation of the figure that Edom is disgraced to the character of slave to whom the conqueror tosses his sandals that they may be cleaned. Now, so... In this point, historically, Edom is a slave or a servant to Israel. But after David dies, Solomon changes his tactics. And, you know, he married women but uh, from, from several different nations. And among them, in 1 Kings 11, verse 1, King Solomon married the daughter of an Edomite king. And so there is this brief respite of hostilities where 
the kings of Israel and Judah and Edom, they join in a triple alliance against the threat of a Moabite invasion in 2 Kings 3. However, even though that this that they work together, you know, it's almost like the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So they work together for a time. But by 2 Kings 8, Edom has rebelled against Judah during the reign of Jehoram, and they've established themselves as their own independent power once again. So here we are in 850 B.C., and uh, Edom has grown back up. Now, what's interesting is that um, there's a book in the Old Testament called Obadiah, and it gives another glimpse at what was going on between Israel and Edom during the divided kingdom. And it begins, its very first verse says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord concerning Edom. And just as briefly as Obadiah is mentioned, so is his target audience. But a few verses down, if you had your Bible handy, you could see this, that the Edomites are sharply rebuked for their passivity and the approval of one of the plunders of Jerusalem. In Obadiah 1 verse 10, it says, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lot at Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Now, in 735 B.C., there's a guy named Rezin of Syria, and he captured Elaph, the southern tip of Edom, and he drove the Jews out in 2 Kings 16. And then in 586 B.C., when Babylon captured the entire region, the Edomites were scattered and they fled to the Negev. That's what it says uh, in Haley's commentary. During the Persian and later the Greek regency, the Edomite region became known as, uh, I'm going to pronounce it, Edomia. That's how I'm going to say it. And uh, it's the Greek form of the word Edom. So Edomia. And uh, Edomea, maybe that's how we'll say it, Edomea. And both refer to the descendants of Esau. So, for example, you could even look in the King James Bible and it says Edomea in, uh, let's see, Isaiah chapter 34, verse 5 and 6. So, in 164 BC, during the Maccabean Revolt, the leader of that revolt subdues the Edomians or the Edomites, and it forces them to be circumcised and accept Judaism. And it's during this time when the Hasmonean dynasty ruled in the Judean region, an Edomite convert named Antipater became an important figure in the court. And so when Edomia, man, I just feel like I'm pronouncing it different every time, uh, Edomia, Judea and the surrounding regions, when they became a province of Rome in 64 B.C., this Antipater rose to become the procurator of Judea. And he establishes the Herodian dynasty, and he was the father of Herod the Great. And so uh, we can read about that guy in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And so Antipater and his progeny were considered Jewish proselytes, but the cultural rift between the Jews and the Herods was palpable. And no doubt, I mean, it's connected to the long history of Israel and Edom. It's the heart of the Jewish people and the Herodian leaders. What's amazing is that in AD 70, during the Roman destruction of Jerusalem, the Edomian region is destroyed 
And by AD 100, the Edomites, the Edomians, they disappear from history, and they're inglorious, they're exiled, and they're no more. And that fulfills Obadiah chapter 118. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survival will remain in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So, what can we learn from this people? That's the kind of the whole point of this, right? Is um, you know, what can we take away from this and, and and use it to help better appreciate the Bible and and better appreciate our life? Number one, feuding brethren. So the the book of Obadiah was about a brother nation that had engaged in harming God's people. And God rejected the Edomites because they were smug and resolute in their sin. God resolved to punish them for their unrepentant harm to his people. And the message is written in the scripture for all time and all people. And take note, and it's this, repent if you find yourself in a similar circumstance where you're at odds with your brethren. The New Testament is filled with one another commands. We're called to submit to one another in Ephesians 5.21, love one another in John 13.34, to bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6.1 and 2. And unlike the Edomites and the Israelites, brother nations who did not take God's commands for brotherhood seriously, we can learn that God desires the churches of Christ to dwell with one another in a spirit of brotherly love. So another lesson perhaps we could learn is that Edom's issues came about because of rebellious behavior. I think it's important to remember that, that someone's actions had consequences. So Esau and his progeny, the Edomites, they're often used by people who believe in uh, Calvinistic doctrines to show proof of predestination of individuals. And they'll take that from Romans 9, verse 10 through 13. Some believe that God predestined Jacob to be saved and Esau to be lost because God loved Jacob and hated Esau. I talked about that briefly earlier. And while God predetermined a plan that was at work, the scriptures show that it was a predestined plan for service and not for salvation. Jacob was called to a special service instead of Esau. His lineage would produce the nation of Israel, the law of Moses, and ultimately the Messiah. However, both could have been saved by God's grace through faith. If they, like anyone else, would be willing to hear and trust and obey God's commands, then they could be saved. Unfortunately, Esau and the Edomites were cast out of God's favor because of their sinful and reckless behavior. I want you to think about the scripture in Hebrews 12, verse 15. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. The question is, how did Esau become unholy? Was he unholy from birth? No, he was unholy for his reckless actions and his disregard of the birthright. And hundreds of years later, God still gave grace and opportunity 
for Edom to rejoin their brother Israel in worshiping the true God, Deuteronomy 23, 7 and 8. Sadly, as seen in the history that we've talked about, and in Obadiah, the Edomites continued in their sinful and reckless ways. Okay, here is the final lesson that I'd like to talk about. The gospel conquered Edom. The gospel that conquered Edom. You know, Edom tried to conquer the gospel in a way. If you think about it, Herod the Great, the son of Antipater, who was basically an Edomite who had converted, this Edomite dynasty, the Herods, they tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. They tried to conquer the gospel, but the gospel conquered Edom. I like that uh, prophetically in Numbers chapter 24, when Balaam the seer attempted to curse Israel, he prophesied that a star of Jacob and a new ruler would bring all the surrounding tribes and kingdoms, that includes Edom, into submission. Listen to Numbers 24 where Balaam says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of Tumult, and Edom shall be a possession. Seir also his enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. You know, this, this messianic kingdom of Jesus, it spiritually conquered Jerusalem and Judea and all the world. And this includes the region where the Edomites once dominated, sworn enemies of old, now could embrace one another as brethren. The animosity of over 2,000 years was swallowed up in the victory of the Lamb. And whether the enemies be Edomites and Israelites Romans and Jews, Democrats or Republicans, all can lay down their swords and become one in Christ. And that's where I want to end it today, is Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, where it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Look at that. There's this direct connection to the children of Abraham, to his grandchildren, Esau, Esau, and Jacob, and us, spiritual descendants. It doesn't matter where we're from. When we're baptized into Christ, we've put on Christ. So here's a, a brief overview of a family feud a family feud that sadly rocked these two families for generation after generation after generation, and the only thing that could conquer the feud was the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope it was an enjoyable study, and I really do hope to get some guests back in here more consistently. Um, time will tell, especially over the next few months. Time will tell if I'm able to do that. But I hope you enjoy this, that you'll study for yourself how the Edomites lost everything through reckless behavior. And next time you're reading through the Old Testament, maybe it will be that much more real as you read about the Edomites. And I'm so thankful that Jesus overcame them through the gospel and that through the gospel we can overcome as well. Well, that's all for this week, and uh, let's try to come back together next week after a great Thanksgiving, and we'll continue to study 
and have good Bible-based conversations. Until then, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.